I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot of this finance stuff is not actually about the maths or the dollars. It's about what it does for us and how we feel. The benefit of an advisor is that more of that return ends up in your pocket because you manage your emotions and behavior. The problem is financial advice is so expensive in Australia. The average price of an advisor is five, six, seven thousand dollars a year and going up very quickly. Our goal at Life Shopper was to be able to do that for under six hundred dollars a year. Now you're in your sixties. What are some things that you would tell your younger self or even even younger people listening. If 30 is the new 20 and you're not prepared to accept that 70 is the new 60, then you have to behave differently. You have a really interesting framework that you recommend to clients on how to set up a good budget. Rather than being restrictive, a well-crafted plan for your money that's aligned to your values and goals is actually liberating. Stops you having to think, can I afford this? And you can just get on with living life. Hey friends, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Queenie. And Pablo. Welcome back to another episode and today we have a really, really special guest. So Vince is a financial advisor and he's helped so many people with their money and he just has some amazing, amazing wisdom to share with us and I'm really, really, really excited to, yeah, have him on the podcast. So welcome Vince. Well, thanks for having me Queenie and Pablo, of course. Oh, thank you so much. So we always like to start our podcast with a money win. So do you have a money win to share with us? Oh, well, my most recent money win is having turned 60, I rocked up to the gym and said, do I get a senior's discount? And he said, yes. So that saves me 25% on my gym membership. That's amazing. That's really good. Any other seniors discounts? Uh, I haven't quite found that out yet, but I have applied for the seniors card. But you don't get the $2.50 Opal card if you're still working. So you have to work less than 20 hours a week to get the $2.50 on the buses. Wow. So anywhere you want to go in Sydney, $2.50. That's good. That's but, really but good. But you, you don't get it if you're working 20 hours or more, Oh. which I do. Oh, hopefully soon. It's okay, you still have the 25% at off. the gym. <laughs> and now you go to the gym, you can even walk to anywhere, save even more money. Mm. Yeah. And I do walk. I walk a lot. Oh, that's good. What about you, Pablo? My money win is that it was recently Black Friday and we stocked up on some dishwashing tablets from Kmart. So they were like only $15 for 110 tablets. So that was good. Well, I didn't realise mm. that um, Kmart did Black Friday. Everyone's getting into it now. I know. It's gotten so big these days. Yeah, it's very big. And actually we were discussing during lunch before you arrived, Vince, that, you know, many retailers, they increase their price, their RRP, to increase the discount. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's, that's pretty dodgy. So make sure that you use, I think you're the website, Queenie? Camel Camel. Is that the one that tracks the prices that you can see on Amazon how it's moved? Yeah, exactly. Camel Camel. Yeah. Not to be confused with Duck Duck. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's it's so crazy. It's actually pretty dodgy, but a lot of retailers do it. So, yeah. I'm sure it's illegal. I know. Surely, right? But how do they check? Hmm. And, of course, nobody's checking overseas websites anyway. Exactly. And who's enforcing these things as well? 
you know, probably understaffed, <laughs> you know, probably one person managing everything. <laughs> yeah. But there's always good bargains around it. There are, there are, and you can find good ones. My money win is, uh, well, I think that it's really good. Something that we like to do is whenever we receive gifts or like Christmas gifts and things, like we always keep our wrapping paper and like birthday presents and things like that. So we don't have to buy gift bags and wrapping paper. So I think that's a bit of a money win, you know, if you get given a gift or something, it's good to have a place to store all of them. So if you want to give something to someone else, you've still got the bags ready. But what's the hack to keep it without getting it scrunched up or lost and knowing where it is when you're going to use it? That's that's the catch. I guess you have to find a little space in your home to put all the gift bags. But uh, yeah, I, I hate paying for like wrapping paper or like gift bags because I know that they're just like, everyone has them. They're like they exist, you know? Or maybe you could save more by buying a smaller house without the cupboard to store the paper. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, something we recently started using is a label maker. Things. Oh, yeah. And it's actually really good because we get to buy less, but we know where most things are. Have you used it before? No, but that's a really good thing. I find myself going to the supermarket and going, do I have olive oil? Oh, I'll just buy one. And you end up with six bottles of this stuff. Oh, yeah, always. And but that's why you should always shop with a list. Yeah. And the Woolies app is good because it'll actually give you your list in aisle order. So you tell it which store you're going to and it resorts your list into the way you move up and down the aisles. So you don't have to think. You can just start at the left and work your way to the right. Yeah, that's so handy. I love all this technology, making our life easier. Just remember that anything that we talk about in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't constitute personal financial advice. You can read our full financial services guide in the description below. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of our land, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. So, Vince, can you tell us a bit about how you got into the financial space? Like, what is your story and why did you choose this industry out of all of the ones that you could have chosen? Yeah, it's actually quite a long story. I graduated as an engineer in, am I allowed to say how, how long ago? Um, 1983. And um, that was a really deep depression. And I'd sort of worked out halfway through my uni time term, my time at uni that Maybe I didn't really want to be an engineer, but I'd sort of stumbled into it because I was good at maths. So when I graduated, I um, started work for a consulting firm and we did a lot of work in finance. And I realised, well, I'm not sure I really like this working business. So I decided to go back and study an MBA. And while I was studying my MBA, I got a, uh, I got a job offer in the finance department or corporate finance for mobile oil the oil company, which is now called ExxonMobil. And so that got me into finance. So that was largely working on you know, big projects. And um, that's how I came to Australia. So they, I joined them in New York and they sent me to Australia for work. So I came here for six weeks in 1988. Every many years later, it is 35 years later, I've got a 23-year-old Aussie son and um, I'm here. Um, so from that, I um, joined Macquarie Bank and in their project finance team where we used to do a, a lot of things like valuing infrastructure assets for the super funds and working on a lot of big infrastructure projects. 
and from there to funds management. And um, then I left in 2003 and set up my own business. So I had a business that I sold to Mark Boris in 2007. So Yellow Brick Road Investment Services used to be called Caliva Wealth when I ran it. I worked with a lot of older people with lots of money and realised that a lot of what we were doing for them was not really about getting them a better investment return. It didn't really matter to these people whether they made 8% or 8.5%. And the things that did matter to them were, we had this woman client, she was in her in her 80s and she had a 40-year-old boyfriend. No, no, she wasn't actually. She was in her late 70s. 40-year-old boyfriend and she had a lot of money. And um, she had two big obsessions. One, that the boyfriend wouldn't get the money and two, that she could get her health card. Now, this woman was as fit as an ox, so she never went to the doctor, but she was obsessed about getting her senior, what's now called a senior's health card. And so we did a lot of work to get her that. And that was what mattered to her. So that taught me that a lot of this finance stuff is not actually about the maths or the dollars. It's about what it does for us and how we feel. And so having sold that business just before the GFC, so 2008, I was now semi-retired, I think is probably a polite way of putting it. And I thought, you know, this financial advice business isn't, isn't rocket science. There is a set of rules here somewhere that gets you most of the way there. So I spent quite a time working out what they were and documenting what we actually did as advisors. And from there, I said, well, how do I now use this to deliver financial advice to everyday Australians? As most people listening to this podcast, in fact, most Australians will know financial advice is a very expensive thing to buy, both in Australia and around the world. And there's far more people want it than can afford it. And so using these tools, I create a life sherpa so that we could help the vast bulk of Australians who weren't being serviced by the traditional financial advice business. You know, starting with budgeting, paying off your debts, buying your first home, super insurance investment, all those things that are becoming increasingly complicated and changing all the time. And it's really hard to make those decisions. Sure, people like you guys are doing a great job in getting this information around, but it's still not a simple decision, most of these things. Much of it is about behaviour and emotions, as it is about maths. And so that's why I created Love Shopper. Oh, I love it. That's such a nice story. What did you think, Pavle? Yeah, that was very interesting, especially, you know, when you mentioned like the old lady and then she had really interesting wants you know it's not what you think that she would want like maybe the one percent better return is not actually what she wants no and it wouldn't have made the slightest bit of difference to her life but a lot of people in financial advice think it it is about returns that's not actually the real value that a financial advisor adds so the fund that you invest the etf that you buy doesn't know whether i recommend it or whether you saw it on Facebook or you threw a dart at the financial review one day, it will do what it does. The market will do what it does. The benefit of an advisor is that more of that return ends up in your pocket because you manage your emotions and behaviour and you don't let uh, short-term declines in the market get in the way. You know, a lot of people 
So I'm going to invest $1,500 a month, which they keep doing while the market goes up. The market goes down, they stop doing it. And so they end up making less than the return the market gave. And in fact, the numbers show that the average investor, this is a US number, but I'm pretty sure it's the same in Australia. The average investor in the US stock market makes 3, 3.6% less than the market. Wow. Mostly due to this behaviour, that when the market's up, people pile in. When the market's down, they stop or worse, sell. And so people get less than less of the return that the market delivers. And so having the right advice makes much of that problem go away. Problem is financial advice is so expensive in Australia. The average price of an advisor is you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars a year and going up very quickly. So our goal at Lushapa was to be able to do that for under six hundred dollars a year. So mm. it uh, works out to be a dollar fifty a day. That's amazing. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I'm curious to hear from you because now you're in your 60s and I think we have a lot of people listening to our podcast that around, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, trying to set up, set themselves up, trying to also set, you know, potentially future generations up as well. And I'm curious because, you know, you have a lot of life experience and you've worked in the space for a while, what are some things that you wish you knew when you were in your 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s? You know, like what are some things that you would tell your, your younger self or even younger people listening? Um, that's really interesting. And in fact, a lot of the things that mattered in the 80s and 90s, the rules and the, the guidelines that you might have used back then don't necessarily work today. So telling a 20-something graduate in 1983 that they should buy the biggest house they can afford was probably good advice, at least in hindsight, because if you borrowed a little bit too much, inflation came along, your pay went up and the problem sort of, inflation cured a lot of those problems. Even though we've now had a little bit of inflation over the last year or so, it's unlikely that's going to solve the problem today. And so the old advice of buy the biggest house you can afford doesn't make sense anymore. So some of those rules of thumb that we get from our parents don't necessarily apply. But some of the basics still apply. You know, you still ultimately got to spend less than you earn. You've ultimately got to invest the surplus. It's probably a good idea to buy, buy your home at the right time. And that's the right time for you. Like, don't worry about what the market's doing. It's, are you ready now? and not buy too much. So too much house and too much car are the biggest causes of financial stress that I see. So that's probably a bit of a historical context on it. But your, your 20s matter and they matter more now than they ever mattered. So if you think about when we started work at 18, 19, 20 and we retired at 55 and we died at 65 or 70, that's a completely different dynamic than today. We're more likely getting into our careers in the late late 20s. We're getting married around 30. Um, we're buying a home mid-30s. So if 30 is the new 20 and you're not prepared to accept that 70 is the new 60, then you have to behave differently. And so the rules of the game have changed and we need some new 
well, the game's changed, so we need some new rules to play by. But the basics of, you know, spend less you earn, have an emergency stash, pay off your debts, get your super sorted, prepare for the unexpected, get your paperwork sorted, buy and pay off your home and invest your surplus. None of that changes. The way we do it's changed. So, you know, when I started investing in the stock market in the, in the 80s, your stockbroker phoned you up every day and said, this is what's good today. And trading cost a minimum of 1%. I think there might have been a £100 minimum as well. The government regulated the price of brokerage. And so you couldn't go and buy $500 worth of stock back then. It just made zero sense. In 1987, when the stock market collapsed, I was in Vienna and didn't speak very good German. So it took me two days to work out that the headline on the newspaper in German meant that the stock market just fell 40%. And, you know, I had to go and find a a radio and find the BBC World Service to find out what was happening. Whereas today, that's on your phone. So those things make a big difference. But the basics don't change. And your 20s do matter. In fact, there's a book, I don't know if you can put it in the show notes, there's a book called The Defining Decade by a psychologist called Meg Jay. She's American, I think, or Canadian-American. And she works with young people, you know, 20-somethings generally. And it goes, it's not all about money, but it goes through relationships and education and where you live and points out how important your 20s are. And that by the time you get to 30, a lot of the habits that you're going to take with you have already been informed. You know, we see this with music. You know, people's taste in music tends to not change that much once you get past 30 or 40. We work out where we're going to live, which is where our friends live. So we start building up relationships and friend groups and we get used to going to bars or wherever. So where you live, that starts driving where you want to live, which drives so much of your cost of living. So where we live, you know, we start to look a bit like our neighbours. Yeah. We go to shop in the same shops. Our kids go to the same schools. We buy similar cars. We holiday in similar places. So a lot of these money habits that we develop come from the people and places we hang out. And so getting those habits right in your 20s makes a huge difference. But I recommend that everyone under 30 should read this book. It's not a particularly long or difficult read. It's a series of stories about her clients. I accidentally found it at the bookstore in Gatwick Airport. I'd never seen this book before, but you know, there's... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So you can't judge a book by its cover? Well, sometimes you can. And it just grabbed me and I read it between there and Dubai. And I've ever since I've been recommending it to everybody. It's just one of those books that if you wanted a book to define the rest of your, how you think about living, that would be it. It's much more meaningful, much more insightful than a lot of straight money books. But it teaches many of the same lessons. 
but in a broader context around relationships, around where you live, what you do, and that we can treat our 20s as you know, downtime between finishing college and starting a real job. Sure, it's a great time to travel. It's a great time to experiment. It's a great time to move. It's a great time to do a lot of things. But it is the foundation for the rest of your life. And so it's really important that the things that you do align with what matters to you. Mm, so that's that, really that, that's interesting. a big, big recommendation about what to do. My boy's just turned – he's 23 now, so he um, – he was never an academic. He struggled a bit in school uh, and he's finally got a job, moved to Melbourne, bought a house with no help from me. So it can be done. Admittedly, Melbourne's cheaper than Sydney, but not a lot. And he did get a whole bunch of COVID era benefits from the Victorian government. But I, I had promised him, I said, look, if you can save 5%, I'll pay your lender's mortgage insurance bill. Um, so if you can save 5% and convince a bank to lend you the rest... I'll pay your lender's mortgage insurance bill. But at the time, when he finally did it, he went, don't worry, Dad, I've got this under control. So um, it can be done. He's very frugal, which he probably doesn't get from me, to be perfectly honest. But because um, I do like, I don't, I'm not a good shopper, but I do like the finer things in life. And uh, he just doesn't spend money. Wow. Wow, that's so he's amazing. So you know, normal blue, blue collar job. He's got a flatmate who rents two of his bedrooms so it's the one piece of advice I did give him was a five-year fixed rate mortgage <laughs> <laughs> yeah which uh, proved to be a winner at the time oh, not that definitely. I'm not that I'm claiming any particular foresight other than they had to go up sometime <laughs> oh my gosh that would be amazing I didn't even know that some banks did five-year fixed rates that's pretty good yeah. it's about as long as you can get in Australia yeah that's really good what do you think Pablo yeah, it's very interesting. Like, I guess in the US, you think you can go up to 30 years or like the whole loan. But here, I guess in Australia, five years, it's, it was a good call, Vince. Yeah, so I'm not claiming mean? the ability to forecast the market. It was really just a, a view that certainty was more valuable than flexibility for him. And the, the government three-year funding for the banks through COVID was going to stop someday. I had no way of knowing when. So it was just a, an on the balance of probabilities because I don't, I don't like making predictions and certainly when it comes to our members' financial planning, we don't make predictions. We, we would much rather you plan, prepare and protect. That is you plan for what might happen, prepare for what you do if it did happen and protect it where possible. And fixing rate is a bit of a protection that the downside of it going up was much more serious than the potential benefits from it maybe going down. Mm, very true. And if you're enjoying this podcast so far, don't forget to give us a follow so you don't miss an episode. I have a question around budgets because you have a really interesting framework that you recommend to clients on how to set up a good budget. And I'm curious to hear from you, like, Maybe you could tell our audience about, you know, your findings in the budget, the kind of like split that works and um, how you see budgets and I guess people managing their day-to-day -day finances. Cool. I mean, budgets have such a bad rap. They're a bit like diets. When you People just cringe when they see the word. But really, I think rather than being restrictive, 
a well-crafted plan, well, let's not call, I don't have to call it a budget, but a plan for your money that's aligned to your values and goals is actually liberating because it stops you having to think, stops you having to think, can I afford this? It stops you having to think, when's payday? It stops you having to juggle bills and you can just get on with living life. That takes a bit of work, like actually understanding yourself and what really matters takes time and it takes persistence. And you're not going to get this right the first time and that shouldn't matter. But aligning your spending with what's important to you, we have a lot of members who love travelling and they are that's such an important thing in their lives that they are prepared to trade off the house or apartment they live in that they will buy a smaller house in order to be able to afford to travel more. Now, that's a trade-off that's not right for everybody, but it is for some people. Other people are so obsessed about having the right house because they have friends, you know, they have a lot of people over, they have family. The bigger, better house with the pool really, really matters and they are prepared to trade off lots of other things to have that. And understanding those trade-offs, so that's probably step number one. Step number two is stop thinking about needs and wants. One of the biggest problems with most money books and most budgeting advice is it says separate your needs from the wants and deal with the needs first and then and only then deal with the wants. And the problem with that is it forces you to – well, it creates guilt around spending that makes you feel good and it also focuses the mind on the smaller things – so when you think about if I divide my spending into needs and wants, the first thing most people think about is my daily coffee. Because it's small, it's obvious, it happens every day, that's the first thing they focus on. So that's why you'll see so many of these memes about you know, the, the reason millennials can't afford a house is because they drink too much latte and eat too much smashed avocado and there's nothing could be further from the truth. So rather than thinking about needs and wants – because all spending fulfills some need. So if you take your morning coffee, for example, the need it serves is clearly fluid and nutrition. But And if that were all it was about, then an Nescafe at home is a perfect substitute. But actually that's not what it's about in most cases. It's about you know, the routine on the way to work. It's the stepping out with your work colleagues at mid-morning. It's stress relief. It's the chat with the barista, it's the quiet time in the cafe while you sip your latte. For me, I stop on the way to work and read the paper all the time. So my, well, it was $3, now $4.50 for my long black is effectively the price for that quiet time in the cafe with the newspaper so I can walk into the office fully prepared, knowing what's going to happen. So if someone says, did you see what happened overnight? I've got the answer and I've done it in a really stress-free way. That's not for everybody, but if you think about the need that it's fulfilling first rather than thinking about it as a need or want. You've probably heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which anyone who studied any psychology will will know that it starts off with you know, physiological needs, which is you know, food, water, fluid, warmth, and then moves up through things like acceptance, belonging, uh, right up to self-fulfillment. And that's not a hierarchy of needs and wants. It's a hierarchy of needs. 
And so looking at our spending in the context of what need is this fulfilling and is there a better way to fulfill that need? So that's the first thing, stop thinking about needs and wants. And the second thing is start where you are. So you can't start a, a budget plan by going, oh, I read on the in this book that I should have 60% of my budget allocated to daily expenses without knowing where it's actually going. So if you want to change something, you've got to know where it is first and what of that that bothers you. So start with where you are. Um, there's lots of apps that will do this now. You can download your banking transactions and categorise them and work out what of that spending's working for you and which ones aren't. So you might find that you're spending buying two cups of coffee a day and it's not adding value to your life, in which case, sure, go ahead and cut one of those out or even both of them. But, you know, let's focus on the big things first. So 40% of your spending is probably where you live and what you drive. So um, let's start there. So the really big ticket things, you know, rent or mortgage, utilities, insurance, car payment and potentially groceries, like they're the big things. Whether or not you buy a coffee in the morning makes very little difference to your to your budget. And in fact, you know, if you've ever gone and you've, you've bought a house, you know what it's like. You go and go to an open house. What does the agent say? They says this apartment will sell in the low seven hundreds. Now, what does that even mean? It means something between seven hundred and ten and seven hundred and fifty, as if those two are indistinguishable. Well, the difference between paying seven hundred and ten and paying 735, will pay for a lifetime of lattes. So, you know, let's make the, the decisions you only have to make once. So that's the, the second step. And then the third step is looking at this spending in the way it makes you feel. So I like to split spending into three categories. I've got chore spending, which is the stuff that doesn't spark any particular joy when you spend it. Nobody gets any joy about paying their electricity bill. Clearly you'll notice that if you flip the light switch and the light doesn't go on, but there's no particular joy struck from that. So using less and paying less is a very easy decision to make and one that will make a big difference very quickly. And you're not going to miss any joy from doing that. And so chore really is around where you live, what you drive, uh, insurance, utilities, food, debt debt payments. And then the, the next step thing I look at is what I call live expenses. Some people might call these smiles or splurges or wants, but it's really about how they make you feel when you spend it. And they're, they're usually things like I categorise them as looking good, feeling good, going out, staying in. So looking good is around you know, clothing, beauty, cosmetics, hair, um, feeling good, massage, going out to the pub, going to the theatre, uh, so that's sort of going out, that's going out. And then staying in sort of hobbies and things that you do, like your Netflix or your cry-cut machine or whatever it is that you that keeps you excited. And you obviously want most of your money to go to this space or as much as possible to that space because that's the stuff that makes life really feel like worth living. And then the final category I call it grow spending, which is really about achieving goals. Now, they're not necessarily big hairy goals about, you know, I want to retire early or I want to start a business. They could be as little as, you know, I want a holiday next year. So stuff that's generally not an every year thing. So it could be paying off your debts, it could be saving for your first home, it could be starting a 
you know, starting a business, it could be going overseas, it could be having a baby, it could be all sorts of goals that are meaningful to you and it's moving money out of today's spending to tomorrow's spending. You'll all eventually get spent. It's just when you spend it. But that's the stuff that makes you feel like you're getting ahead. And so I call that the you know, chore, live, grow. And a good benchmark, this is not a rule, so I don't treat this as a target, but a benchmark says if I'm 50% in the chore category, mm. I'm probably going okay. It's pretty hard to keep it much below 40 unless you're living at home with mum and dad, which would be a good indication of why it should be less than 50. If you've just had a baby and you're off work and your income's come down, it's going to be a lot more than 50. If you've just bought a house, it might be a lot more than 50. But knowing that it's not 50 and why is actually the important analysis. There's no rule that says it has to be 50, but it's a good test. If, if I'm less than this, is there a reason and maybe I should be saving the difference? Is it over, if I'm over 50, is it temporary? Is there a reason why it is? Or have I just bought too much house and too much car? Then for the live, you want as much as possible in here. And 30 is a good target. And then the final one is grow. And you need enough here to make it feel like you're getting ahead. How much that is varies from people, to, from person to person. But 20 is a really good number. And these are actually really important because I can sort of tell from the words people use, where their problem is. So if someone walks into our office or our digital door and says, um, I, I make good money, I just don't feel like I'm getting ahead. Well, that's probably a sign there's not enough in the grow category. Regardless of what percentage it is, it's, just, it's not enough for them. And often that's a case of having too much chore. Sometimes it's a case of too much leave, but that's rarer. And if someone says, ah... Oh, there's just never enough money by the time I get to the end of the month. That's usually a too much live. So those words, listen to what you tell yourself about your money and it will tell you where some of these problems problems lie. So that's that's probably the, the two biggest ones. Don't expect to get it right the first time. You know, if you start with where you are today and then build a plan to gradually get towards where you think you want to be so that you've got a path. Don't expect it to change overnight. You can change some of it by big decisions like refinancing your home loan, reviewing your insurance, getting a better phone plan or a better electricity plan. But the longer term, the bigger stuff will take longer to get right. So give yourself time and celebrate the wins as you go. It will go off the rails over time, either because your situation has changed yeah, you have a baby, you get married, you get divorced, you get a new job, your budget will change and it's time to, to revisit it. So they're probably the big, the big lessons. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's really interesting. Speaking of budgeting, if you would like a completely free budget tracker, you can check one out down in the show notes below. Pablo and I have put a lot of work into this budget sheet and we hope you enjoy it just as much as we've enjoyed creating it for you. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I guess, like you said, like it's good to have these numbers as like benchmark, mm. but everyone is different. So they will be different based on each of everyone's situations. That's right. So if, you've, if you're starting out and you've just bought a house your chore is going to be high because yeah, there's always something has to be done when you buy a house. If you're 
50-something and your kids have finished school and you've paid off your home, well, your chores should now be a lot lower and you might want to be focusing more on the goal side because retirement side can get pretty close. And you're going to even save on your gym membership. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're 20-something and you're living at home with mum and dad, you would expect that your chore might be 10 or 20 depending how generous mum and dad are. Mm, very true. Oh, that's so lovely to catch up with you, Vince. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. I guess before we close off, are there any, I guess, things that you would like to share with our audience? Um, well, my day job is running Life Sherpa, which is Australia's most affordable financial advice service. You can find us at lifesherpa.com.au and go check it out, sign up for a free account and see if it's for you. You can find us on um, Instagram at My Life Sherpa. I think it's at My Life Sherpa, and on Facebook. Oh, thank you and so I much. tweet occasionally at uh, Vince Scully AU. <laughs> While you're drinking your coffee and yes. reading your journal, that's Aww. right. And you will find me occasionally on Reddit as Silver Fox sixty two. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Vince. And we'll put those links below in the show notes. Highly recommend checking uh, Vince out and his business is great. It's also helps Pablo and I find the right insurance. And yeah, the team there is just really, really lovely. So it's really good. Yeah, that was really good to have you on, Vince. Well, thanks, thanks for coming. That. Thanks for having me. Aww, thank I love the so studio. Oh, oh, thanks. Thank you. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. 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 <laughs> 